Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Do we have the first blockbuster of 2018? Oh, I believe we do. I would think there's a good chance of that. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from madwolf.com. And the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of Marcus Crosswoods Theater. With 70-foot-wide ultra screen featuring Dolby Atmos surround sound and those Dream Lounger recliners. There are actually five movies we're going to talk about new at the theaters this week. But the big one going to be taking the lion's share of the action, and boy, it deserves it, is Black Panther. What do you know about Wakanda? It's a third world country. Textiles, shepherds, cool outfits, all the front. I'm the only one who's seen it and made it out alive. You get to decide what kind of king you are going to be. Don't freeze. I never freeze. Well, the hype has been building about this one for a while now, and it's nice when you can just say, believe the hype. Oh, it is. Because it delivers on almost every front. Maybe every single front. It really does. Honestly. So, Ryan Coogler, we've been big fans of his since Fruitvale Station, which was a a really well-put-together little indie drama. It's a really well-told story. Yeah, it's based on a true story, and it's really, boy, it's just, it's a gut punch of a movie. But that really heralded his arrival as a writer-director, and also the star of that movie Michael B. Jordan. Jordan. And of course, the two together then came back and they made Creed right a couple years ago and and did a great job with that, with sort of reinvigorating a very tired franchise. Who would have thought they could breathe so much new life into the Rocky franchise, but they did it, and now, as you've been talking about, as we've been talking about, this is the payoff of, all right, you started kind of small, but Mm -hmm. very impressive, Mm -hmm. moved up a little bit, and now been given the keys. All the money. You got all the money. Let's see what you can do with it. And they do a lot. I'm telling you what, it's it's so, so great on directing level, writing level, acting level, storytelling level. The word I keep just coming back to is a triumph. Oh, yeah. It's just a triumph. Yes. Top to bottom. Absolutely. So on the most superficial level, as a comic book superhero movie action film, visually, in terms of the action choreography, the set pieces, glorious. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, and I think you're like me. We're not big comic book people, to to put it mildly. So a lot of people might be in the same boat, don't really know a whole lot about the backstory of this superhero. Oh, right, no. You know, he made an appearance in the Civil War movie, the Mm -hmm. last one. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you hear a little bit, uh, but... The first, I don't know, half hour of the movie, maybe, mm-hmm. is a very competent origin story. Right. About but where not this one, character You don't came feel from. super bogged down no, by it, you no. know? So they don't take, you know, it, it clips along, gives you what you need to know. Wakanda mm-hmm. is built on this incredibly amazing metal source that is also technology that, you know, and they hide it from and, the rest of the world. And can we just say about how Wakanda looks. It's so great. Oh my It's so great. And, and that's one of the things I think Kugler does incredibly well with this film is that I mean it's like it's he it's he fully understands the entire mythology of the film, right? Because it is this sci-fi metropolis and that is what it looks like. At the same time, they have hidden themselves from the outside world for uh, you know, generations. Mm-hmm. And so the technology and the the culture it, it all evolved 
without following the way the rest of the world has evolved. Right. And so it has They're it has staying... a sci-fi look, but it has a very unique one. It doesn't, very unique. doesn't look like, you know, Metropolis or right. any other kind no. of sci-fi city that you've seen. It doesn't look like anything that we've seen. No. They're keeping themselves hidden for very good reasons. Yeah. And just the look of that alone is, is fantastic. And then the, all the technological wonders that yeah. are found within yeah. the, the, that their land. It's so fully realized. So you've got the first, like we said, half an hour or so of this backstory, and then, then it starts to take on these deeper themes, and the writing becomes so meaningful, yeah. and yeah. the performances, especially when Michael B. Jordan is allowed to really get his teeth into his character, man, that is when the movie, for me, just starts getting its its grips into you and really becomes something more than almost any superhero movie to date has been able to do. I mean, just have it raise the bar on what can be done with these movies. Right. So, you uh, talk about Michael B. Jordan. I think it's good to start with the rest of the cast, who is who is great. The oh, entire the Chadwick cast, Boseman, yeah. of course, all, yeah, all, he, all great. He plays, of course, King T'Challa, mm -hmm. who is Black Panther, and he assumes the throne, because if you remember in Civil War, his father right. got killed. Right. Uh, and then you've got Lupita Nyong'o. Lupita. Lupita. She's so great. Uh, She's so great Bassett, in everything. Daniel Kaluuya from Get Out. An effortless badass Danae Gurria from Walking Dead. Man. She... Yeah, she's great. Yes. I, I still I see her. She's such a badass now. I still can't believe it's the same woman who was so great in this small movie called Mother of George right. a few years ago. If you are a fan of hers or just a fan of good movies, look that up. But yeah, she is. She's so cool in this as a general. And then you've got Letitia Wright as um, Black Panther's sister, who's a like a gizmo whiz. Right, right, so right. Coming up with all these new kind of like, like um, Q, Q, yes, or uh, Morgan Freeman and Batman. Right, you know that sure. sort of thing. Uh, so you've got all these great characters and a great land, but it all boils down to, it really leads to the confrontation, the yin and the yang between Black Panther and Killmonger. What a name! It's a great name. Killmonger it's a great is the name. character that Michael B. Jordan plays, and yeah, he tears it up. He does. And and again, in a, in a somewhat superficial level, level, you come across a lot of the same themes that you find in a lot of comic book and superhero movies. That sort of yin and yang, that darkness and light, that, you know, mm -hmm. a, a lot of daddy issues, a lot of things like that. And again, I want to say that I think that Chadwick Boseman, Lupita Nyong'o, the entire cast, they do a rip Martin Freeman. They do a great job. They really do. And then once Michael B. Jordan gets to really sort of breathe right yeah. he's more than just this side character when they really establish him as a character he shows the artifice of everything else in the movie. i mean he is on fire he, he it's and, and he's a great talent to begin with but oh my god he just oh he tears this up he does because in the beginning of the movie he's the, kind of the sidekick of claw played by andy circus right but then like you say when he's allowed to take center stage as as the villain yeah, that's when the movie really starts to take a turn. And one guy that we should mention, because we don't watch this show, but there are so many fans of This Is Us, we got to mention Sterling K. Brown. Oh, who's great. So <laughs> he's, he's great. always great. He's great. And it's a small part, but it, I mean, he, man, he tears your heart out. Yeah, he does. He's great, too. So, that, you know, just like we said, the, whole, the entire ensemble is fantastic. But it, it comes down to those two. And, yeah, Michael B. Jordan's performance just really 
rises above it really, everybody else. It does. It does. And the, the he writing. Has so many of the best lines. Yeah, that's the thing. Lines that a lesser actor would choke on. You know, he delivers in a way that feels like you're being punched in the gut. I mean, it's so. It's a really powerful, memorable, shattering lines. And yeah. he delivers as perfectly as you can. And because the writing becomes so layered and it deals with. You know, identity and culture and systemic oppression and radicalization and, radicalization. and uprising and yeah and mercy. Yes, uh, all these themes are done in such a way that they don't. They're much. They're so much more effective in the way they don't hit you about the head and neck. They yeah. just give you this line that settles into you and just oh and like and many times the way it's delivered, mm-hmm. especially by mm-hmm. Michael B. Jordan. I, we just can't, you know, we're the far from the first ones to be going on and on about how good this movie is, but that it, it really is in the way that it wows you both on a aesthetic level mm-hmm. and also in a human level. Right. It's all things. I think so often in a superhero movie, you know, it's like the the crisis has to be bigger and, you know, it's global domination and it's these aliens from outer space and they're going to enslave the entire, you know what I mean? But I think the fact that the big conflict, the sort of looming disaster in this film feels so immediate and urgent, but at the same time, and it's Michael B. Jordan who delivers lines that remind you, this is not a new problem that we are facing, right? right? I mean, it's, it, not only does it, you know, in the in the epilogue to the film, you realize it goes back an entire generation. He points out in his last line in the film, no, it goes back way before that. Yeah. And I think that they do a really amazing job of of like you said, they don't they don't you don't feel preached to. You are so breathlessly involved in the entire film and the story and the action and what's going on. But it's just it's so beautifully written that there's no escaping the urgency of the story. Yeah, and one of the things that occurred to me so often in most of the time in superhero sequels you you see this old tired cliche of the superhero eventually gets around to fighting themselves yep. the dark version of themselves yep. well in this movie in a very subtle way i think between these two characters killmonger and black panther it's almost like one character is fighting the two sides of of themselves within these two characters sure. different ways to approach the same issue, the same, the same problem. Issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. I thought that was extremely effective, but again, subtle enough that you don't feel like, oh, well, that's that's incredibly obvious. And the other thing, one of the re- ways that I think Kugler makes it not super obvious is that that yin and yang, that two different ways to approach the same situation, it's mirrored in paired um, characters throughout the film. Yeah. Characters that you d- aren't asked to dislike. Yeah. So it, it helps you to see that this is not a one or the other way. It's just fascinatingly told. It's just so well done, and in case you can't tell, we like it so much. And <laughs> it, it's a case where, the, as we said, the hype is really justified. Yes. And I just I can't wait to see how much money it makes because it, it deserves all of it. We passed, by, we passed by our local multiplex just last night, and the opening night, and it was packed. Yes. And I'm guessing they were all there pretty much <laughs> to see Black Panther. So we would definitely, definitely recommend that. But kind of file it under, okay, what if Black Panther is all sold out? What else is there? There are, <laughs> there are a few more things opening uh, in release in uh, nationwide this week. And the first one is an animated movie set at the dawn of time where prehistoric creatures and woolly mammoths roam the earth. Early man tells the story of Doug along with sidekick Hognob as they unite a tribe 
against the mighty enemy Lord Nuth and his Bronze Age city to save their home. It's called Early Man. The Edge of Stone is over. Long live the Edge of Bronze. Where have you been, the Stone Age? I've got to save the tribe. A caveman? A caveman? You leave my tribe in peace. How dare you? Oh, I'll take him away and kill him. Slowly. Ah, idiots. If we win, we can have our valley back. And if we don't beat them, we'll spend the rest of our lives working down a mine. What's a mine? I was excited for this one, George. I know you love the Wallace and Gromit. I know. So this is Ardman Entertainment, an animation studio out of England. Who stop motion yes. sort of animation. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Plasticine is what they use. Stop okay. motion. But a very distinctive style with like the big wide mouths and huge <laughs> flat teeth. teeth and googly yeah. eyes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and very British sense of humor. Very British. So, and they did, of course, Wallace and Gromit and the Curse of the Were-Rabbit a few years ago. Chicken oh, Run. Chicken Run. Um, and Shaun the Sheep. Yeah, these right. are all These are all Ardman. Right. So if you're familiar with those you kind of know what you're getting into and this is their caveman story and it's cute uh, you know has a really talented vocal cast including eddie redmayne and tom hiddleston and rob bryden rob, rob bryden timothy spall yeah and it opens uh, several generations before doug cavemen and dinosaurs are all out together and it says the plasticine era and then it says just outside manchester and then it says around lunchtime <laughs> and a comet drops to the earth all of the dinosaurs die and the cavemen go over and pick up the comet and it looks like a glowing hot red soccer ball so they drop it and then they kick it around and then there are some cave paintings and there you have it yeah. so so early man is actually uh manchester united the entire <laughs> film is a big mash note to manchester united and it's funny and it's sweet and it's super british <laughs> But not up to the level of some of the Ardman films that you love. No, it, you know, I think it would have made an excellent short, but it just feels to me like it drags a little bit. And one of the things that's super great about all the Ardman films is what you can see in the background, they're Easter eggs, you know, so to speak. But there's not much opportunity for that here because you're mostly out in this sort of caveman wasteland, except for the brief time where Doug goes to the Bronze Age, their town. So it's basically the Bronze Age versus the Stone Age in this soccer game that the that the whole story is leading up to. You know, you get to see some fun sort of booths, like vendor booths, you know, like Jurassic Pork, things like that. But, you know, there's just not as much to sort of draw your eye. And the characters are not nearly as memorable. So it's a cute film and it's fun. But it, it does. It drags a little bit. And I think that it probably would have just been more fun if it had been one of because his Nick Parks makes many, many shorts. Mm -hmm. That might have been a better idea for this one. And that is Early Man. Next up, we're staying way back in time after losing the love of his life to a cruel Philistine prince. A young Hebrew with supernatural strengths defends his people, sacrificing everything to avenge his love, his people, and his God, Samson. Remember the prophecy. Samson. Chosen by the living God. To be his hand of vengeance. It's his will, but it is not mine. No, you find me the secret of his power. My Delilah. My name is Samson. 
and you will face the wrath of God. This is the latest from Pure Flix Productions. They've had a lot of success in the last few years with faith-based films like God's Not Dead and The Case for Christ and things like that. So this falls in that genre, and it's a case where right away when you say it's not a very good movie, and it's not, you want to point, you know, you want to point out. Look, it's not because of the subject matter, okay? Mm-hmm. And you can have a a movie about any story. It's how well you tell that story, right? And uh, the genre is not the problem. It's how they're telling the story, and, and they are not telling it well. And it's interesting. That's a funny. It's a funny problem to have because this the you know Old Testament story of Samson. It's got cinema all over it. And it does. It's a very cinematic story. That's right. Well, you think back to the big extravaganza of Cecil B. DeMille. Yeah. Uh, and things like that, which this doesn't get anywhere close to, <laughs> believe me. But I think, for me, the thing that is most maddening is it because it it seems to almost be taking advantage of its core audience. Like, right. it's so lazy that it knows we're going to have this core audience, so we're, we don't have to try that hard. Right, right, right. And that's too bad. It is too bad. Because, like you say, there's a story here with all sorts of elements yeah. right for the cinema. Yes. But, um Almost like we're talking about Black Panther succeeding in every level. This one uh, almost fails in every level. Sure. I mean... The beards. Let's just start with the beards. Let's start with the beards. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to the Halloween aisle at Target, you could probably get better beards. <laughs> ridiculous. Some of the set pieces, the the way things unfold, just ridiculous. The cast, Taylor James, who's a guy I haven't really been familiar with, hasn't done a lot. He plays Samson. He looks the part. Mm-hmm. He's certainly got the muscles. He's got the hair. Uh, very amateurish. Uh, everybody else that fills out the cast, you, you range from just very, very stiff, uh, Caitlin Leahy, who plays uh, Delilah. Then you've got Jackson Rathbone from the Twilight movies, who just, he's very Branagh. He wants to, <laughs> he wants to chew that scenery, and boy, he does more than chew. It just goes way over the top. Uh, and then Billy Zane comes by to play a king, and just I was just waiting for him to order someone to turn that table into Bud Light and say <laughs> dilly dilly. It becomes that ridiculous. Then, you, as Samson's parents, you've got Rutger Hauer and Lindsay Wagner. So, Rutger uh, Hauer. Yeah. Now, but he shows up in, in dozens of basically made-for-sci-fi bad monster movies, so that doesn't shock me too much. But Lindsay Wagner, bionic yeah. woman. Well, we know where he gets his strength then. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. I wanted to see some slow-mo and that ching-ching-ching-ching-ching kind of sound effect, but... Yeah, it's just weak all the way around. Uh, the writing is just so sophomoric. Uh, the, the direction is barely fit for a Discovery Channel special. It really is. It's it's just weak in every aspect. And like I say, kind of, I think if I, if I was the main target audience for, for one of these films, I'd be a little bit peeved. Yeah, that like they could try, try a little harder, harder than this. Because, you know, I feel confident that somebody who's looking for an Old Testament story, you're going to find better things on TV, yeah. right? They had a whole miniseries, The Bible, on one of these right. TV channels. And you just think, you know, if you have the money to make a film that's going to get released to theaters, try a little harder. Yeah, there was just a few years ago, there was a movie, a faith-based movie called Risen, starring Cliff Curtis as Jesus, that I thought was moving in that's the right. right direction. That's right. Okay, you know, that, that it can be done. But this one, just a really, a really disappointing effort in Samson. And a couple to talk about in limited release this week. The first one is a romance sparked between a young actor and a Hollywood leading lady. It's called Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool. Hey, you're the next door guy, right? Which makes you the girl next door. (laughs) What's her name? Gloria Graham. Big name in black and white films. 
One and Oscar too, if memory serves. Big fans of Gloria, we were. Me and your mum. Is this like a date or? Could you take me to Liverpool? I could get better there. Bella could take care of. You know, you should go to a hospital where no. they can treat you, where they can actually. No. I've got four kids. I don't need five. I'm not a kid. You are all I need. I had no idea who Gloria Graham was before I saw this film. In fact, I didn't realize until I was... This is based on a true story. It is. And I was about halfway through the film when it dawned on me, I bet that this is not fictional. (laughs) I bet that it isn't. (laughs) But I'd never heard of her. And that's unfortunate, although it's kind of a big part of the story they're telling. Gloria Graham actually won an Oscar for a movie called The Bad and the Beautiful. She won a Best Supporting Actress Oscar and did a lot of, like, noirs, the bad girl in a lot of noirs, and then she sort of fell into some scandals. And so where this film picks up, she is toward the end of her career. She is probably in about her mid-50s, and she is doing the Glass Menagerie in England on stage, and she runs into a young actor who's living in the same building that she is, played by Jamie Bell. Annette Benning plays Gloria Graham. And the two of them strike up an unlikely friendship, which turns into love. When the film focuses on Gloria Graham as a healthy woman and the beginning of their relationship, it's really an interesting film because both Benning and Belle are great. But the film spends about two-thirds of its time focused on the end because what happens is that Gloria takes ill uh, and moves in with her boyfriend's mother and dies there. So two-thirds of the film... Annette Benning is basically just wheezing in an upstairs bedroom and reapplying lipstick. And it's really, it gets maudlin and, and flat and dull, aside from the absolutely garish set directions that scream, this is the 70s. Other than that, there's really nothing interesting happening. So it's too bad because it is an interesting story about an actress who, I'm sorry, history has forgotten. It's funny, I just did a quick IMDb search there. And you'll love this. One of the real Gloria Graham's last roles was in The Nesting. I know that, and I'm watching it today. Oh, okay. It's already but, in its on shutter right you now. Didn't, you didn't know it beforehand? No, before. okay. I did not. Okay. I did not know that beforehand. I thought you'd love that. <laughs> it's about prostitute ghosts haunting a woman. So there's some good performances there, but the movie just doesn't quite hold up all the way. Does not. No, it does not. All right, and that's Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool. One more in limited release this week. What makes a woman swipe right for Mr. Wrong? Sofia Vergara and Whitney Cummings star in this witty look at the science behind our romantic missteps. It's called The Female Brain. After years of research, we discovered the male and female brain is wired very differently. To him, I'm basically a blow-up doll. Oh my God, that is what you look like. Thank you. Women are also more likely to recognize flaws. What the hell are you wearing? I threw that thing out like three years ago. But I take out the trash, so now it's back live in effect. Well, the driving force behind this movie is Whitney Cummings, comedian. She not only co-writes, but she gets to direct this one. Uh, and stars, well, and of course. And star, co-stars, yeah. I think she's known mainly before this, at least. She had a sitcom, I think, she, yeah. a few years ago. Can't say I watched it but I'm not really that familiar with her comedy. But based on this movie, it kind of settles into those same stereotypes about relationships that have gone gone pretty darn tired by now. 
I hate them. I knew I was going to hate this movie from the from the title, The Female Brain. I hate comedy that relies on on gender stereotypes for its laughs. I hate that. Yeah. So I'm obviously not the the audience for this film, although I kind of am, right? Because it's a romantic comedy and it's directed at women clearly. Well, the, it's one of those rotating ensemble romantic comedies yeah. where you get a little bit of, okay, this is how these cliches will be applied to this couple, yeah. then we'll move it around to this one, different cliches, yeah. and yeah, it seems very, going back to similar what I was talking about in Samson, just seems very lazy. Yeah, just uninspired. I mean, you know, digging no fresh ground, really covering nothing that isn't so stale by this point that it hurts your teeth. But Blake Griffin... NBA star Blake Griffin. Out of nowhere, is in this film and... You know what represents himself pretty well? He's not horrible. That's exactly right. Yeah, and you've got an ensemble cast. Cicely Strong from Saturday Night Live is in it. Also James Marsden. Beanie Fieldstein, who is um, Jonah Hill's sister and who just was a nice part of the ensemble in Lady Bird. Right, right. She's in this as well. Sophia Vergara, as we mentioned. guy named Dion Cole uh, is her partner in this movie, and he gets some laughs. So there's some talent in the ensemble, but it's just, and I, I can't say that I'm familiar, was ever familiar with Whitney Cummings' stand-up routines, no. I never, but I, I'm assuming it was kind of based on these sort of things. And she got a chance to see it out in a, in a uh, major movie, which I'm a little surprised, too, because one of her co-writers is Neil Brennan, who for years was the partner of Dave Chappelle right, right. in some hilarious stuff. So I might have thought maybe he could have brought more of an edge to some of this stuff, but it really settles into that really familiar rom-com territory that is just, might bring a chuckle here and there, but not much beyond that. So moving to home entertainment, DVD and Blu-ray and all that fun stuff this weekend. We've got a few to talk about. The first one, Blade of the Immortal. Takashi Miike. Takashi Miike. We I, love him so much. We do love him and so much. And this is his 100th film. Yes, it is. You know, by now, I think since we began recording this podcast today, he's probably put out another couple. Yeah, I'm sure that is probably true. Blood of the Immortal is uh, not his best, not his worst. It's a, it's a, an interesting, gory, well-told, gorgeous samurai tale. And he's done his last, in his last, you know, 10 or so films. <laughs> Several of them have focused on the samurai. And and I think it's interesting. He, he looks at the samurai from a lot of very different perspectives each time he takes it on. This is another new one. It's a man who is not that great a guy, but he can't die. It's not his own fault. You'll understand it when you watch the movie. And then he he winds up sort of devoting himself against his own will and wishes to a young girl who is, you know, set for vengeance. And that just sets up the whole story for you. And it's it's really well acted and funny where it needs to be gory of course which is Takashi Miike's real strong suit and uh, and strangely gorgeous also out this week the film that got Denzel Washington a Oscar nomination this year Roman J Israel Esquire and he I was glad to see him get that nomination because I think is it's a tremendous performance hardly anybody saw this movie it's certainly not his best movie but boy I saw some really savage reviews of this movie and I don't think it's that bad. It's not great, right? but it's uh, written and directed by uh, Dan Gilroy. Who did Nightcrawler, Nightcrawler just a couple years ago, which was all but flawless. Yeah, Nightcrawler was so good. And this one has the chance, he gets into an area where he could be equally biting about some current issues, as Nightcrawler was mm-hmm, if he mm-hmm. wanted to be. But in the end, he goes off on kind of an idealized uh, type of sweetly sentimental wrap-up that was disappointing to me, because Roman J. Israel, Denzel's character, is kind of a savant 
lawyer who's been in the background the whole time, not dealing with the public, but his partner passes away. So then he is forced to come to the forefront. And then when the practice is taken over by a hotshot lawyer, Colin Farrell and his firm, then slowly Roman gets seduced by the possible spoils of success Mm -hmm. and working for a big money guy. And so it's a real character study. It's a great character and a great performance. The movie doesn't quite rise to Denzel's level, but I still think it's definitely worth seeing, especially for that performance. And I'm glad it got nominated. Also out this week, the speaking of sweetly sentimental, Wonder. And it's one that, based on the trailer, we thought, oh boy. And we were pleasantly surprised that it's better than we thought. Exactly. It, uh, you know, and, and we probably shouldn't have been so surprised. Jacob Tremblay plays the lead character, the little boy who has disfigurations around the face and, and his full head because of some, some birth injuries. And he has to, he's been homeschooled up to now. It's fifth grade. He's got to start school. So it follows him through his first year of public schooling. Jacob Trendley is great, as is always the case. He's a little boy from Room, if you didn't know the name. Julia Roberts plays his mother. She's amazing. She yeah. has she does a great job. She's really continued her renaissance here in the last few years yep. of doing the best work of her career. Right. Uh, I can't say the same for Owen Wilson, who plays her husband, but then his character, I thought, was pretty ridiculous and almost needless. Yeah, the film has definitely some limitations and it has definitely some schmaltz. There's no question. But the two central performances really help it rise above its script. And it is very sweet. Very sweet. And that's wonder. And also out this week on VOD, one of our favorites from last year, the Oscar-nominated The Florida Project. Such a great movie. And it looks amazing, you know? And the performances are just stunning. If you didn't get a chance to see this, because it didn't get a big wide release, it's a very small independent film. But if, and from a filmmaker that we really, really like, you should check out his last film, Tangerine, Tangerine, which was amazing. Sean Baker. So, yeah, if you haven't, if you didn't get a chance to see the Florida Project, just do yourself a favor. Also, of course, Oscar nominee Willem Dafoe. Yeah, he plays the manager of this big motel right outside Disney World. And it's certainly not a tourist destination, this motel. It's more for people who are just struggling to find a place to live. Yeah, transients. And it really centers on his relationship with one little girl and then the little girl's mother. And uh, the little girl, Brooklyn Prince, is fantastic. Unbelievable. Uh, Her mother, played by this complete newcomer, Bria Venete, I think uh, is her, how you pronounce her last name. She is uh, very unforgettable. Oh, she's amazing. Yeah, and it, it becomes a real, it's not quite as fly on the wall as tangerine was as 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 just dropping you into this world mm-hmm. but it still is extremely effective in that way yeah it yeah it, it and it looks amazing it looks with the oversized super brightly colored backgrounds uh, you know it looks like a perverted childhood dream it's yeah. just I, I love this movie and it draws a nice contrast between what's going on there and what's going on just a few miles down the road at quote the happiest place on earth exactly so, definitely worth checking out the florida project next week looking forward to annihilation the latest from Alex Garland. He did Ex Machina. He did Never Let Me Go. And I think he also wrote 28 Days Later. Exactly. So basically, this guy is batting a thousand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Looking forward to that. And also a new comedy starring one of my favorites, Jason Bateman. Yeah. I'm always in for a Jason Bateman movie. We'll find out. It's game night. That is next week. So let us know what you thought about this week's movies, especially Black Panther. I know you loved it. <laughs> let us know. Easiest way to uh, get in touch is on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also, Mad Wolf Columbus on Facebook and Instagram. If you like the horror movies like we do, we invite you to check out our other podcast, the horror-centric Fright Club. You can find that wherever your 
favorite podcasts uh, are held, wherever you listen, and also on our website, madwolf.com. So until next week, the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group. And sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theaters. I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. This is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.